Hello, friends, and welcome to this week's edition of Save Our Schools with Dear JCPS. Dear JCPS is a district-focused stakeholder advocacy group that demands accountability and transparency from JCPS through a lens of equity. Save Our Schools Kentucky is a statewide advocacy group that seeks to expose and prevent attempts to privatize our public schools, including charter schools and everything else from the ALEC playbook. The following is part of WFMP's public affairs educational programming. The views expressed are those of the speakers and not the station. If you would like to share your views, you may email us at wfmp.louisville at gmail.com. Welcome to the February 24th episode of Save Our Schools with Dear JCPS. I'm your host, Gay Adelman. We begin today's show with a live recording I did on Facebook at 2.22 on February 22nd, 2022. Hey, everybody. This is Gay Adelman with Dear JCPS. I'm going to give it a second uh, to see if, to make sure we're live here, but it's 2.22 on February 22nd of 2022, and I just felt like it was a momentous occasion, and I wanted to celebrate and uh, also share some updates because these are some interesting times that we live in. Um, it is Tuesday, T-W-O-S-D-A-Y. Uh, you may recall that we've been speaking about a trial that was going to start today and a settlement apparently has been reached between the parties and so that trial has been canceled. However, that doesn't mean it's the end of the story. When one door closes, another one opens. So uh, continue to follow our page for updates uh, regarding that situation. Uh, specifically, I feel like um, because 2.22.22 at 2.22 in the afternoon just has um, a milestone feeling to it, right? It really feels like we've reached a milestone and uh, it's it's memorable. It's a memorable point in our in our history. And so I feel like today uh, is kind of like a day of reckoning, right? I think that the writing is on the wall. It's clear what's going on in our country. It's clear what's going on across our planet. Um, it's clear what's going on even in our own community. And depending on, like, people have had every opportunity to pick a side, right? And those who have not um, moved to the right side have pretty much uh, told us where they stand. And if you haven't moved by this moment in, in history, then you're not moving. And uh, there will be a day of reckoning where people who have not, uh, not only have not acknowledged what's happening and done their part to correct it, um, but have actually contributed to the harm in, in that uh, position, I believe that there will be a moment where they should and will be held accountable. And so I remain, um, optimistic that um, we can draw that line in the sand and really work together to uh, heal and move forward uh, and hold people that have chosen to be on the wrong side accountable. So uh, that's one of the reasons why I chose this moment to, to do this broadcast is I just kind of wanted to, to throw that out there and lay that, uh, draw that line in the sand. But I also have some other updates. Um, as you know, today is also the day that three white men who murdered Ahmed Arbery in South Georgia, South Georgia have been found guilty of federal hate crimes, five counts of federal hate crimes. And so again, this is a moment of reckoning for, uh, for people who have been 
uh, turning a blind eye to um, the harms that have been caused to people of color uh, for simply being black, for simply being minority, for simply being uh, LGBTQ or disabled or poor. And uh, marginalized groups uh, need uh, able-bodied groups and less marginalized groups to pay attention. We have to see color, as they say. We have to uh, stop the, the schoolyard bully from continuing to cause the harm and we can't look away. And uh, so that's a, that's a good day. This is a good day in history uh, when people are held accountable for their crimes, uh, especially hate crimes. Now, um, we still have cases such as Amir Locke, who was murdered in Minneapolis, uh, very similar to uh, how Breonna Taylor was murdered. And as we know, we still don't have justice for Amir Locke. We still don't have justice for Breonna Taylor. And, and uh, you know, the fact that Amir Locke's uh, case happened after we should have learned from Breonna Taylor and after we should have learned from George, from George Floyd's situation as well, because that's the same city where Amir Locke was killed. So uh, we still have a long way to go. We're not there yet, but like I said, at some point we have a marker in the sand and we say this is this is that moment and you know what we do from this moment forward is uh, hold people accountable and make uh, reparations for the harms that have, that have been caused. So um, also in the news that I think people would be interested in and um, I this I consider this kind of bad news, more bad news. Um, but it is election day. So let me back up and say the good news is it is election day. And if you are in one of the uh, areas where there are special elections going on, um, please make sure you get to the polls. Um, Katura Heron is one of those candidates. Get to the polls and make sure that District 42 is represented. Um, and there's probably others, but I have not had a chance to pay attention to the, to the local um, uh, races that are going on, special elections, I should say. But I do know that the gerrymandered maps that the GOP uh, used the latest census data to create um, have been further cemented in stone uh, because the Kentucky uh, Circuit Court in Frankfurt, I believe is the correct term, uh, the judge there has sided with uh, the state treasurer to uh, not cause any election chaos by changing primary dates and filing dates. And so those maps are currently moving forward, although there is, the KDP has, uh, was behind the lawsuit that allowed for that to be heard in the circuit court. And now it is being, it has another layer of challenge. Um, so it could still change. Uh, the maps could still change, but it's likely the primary will not uh, benefit from those changes. And so, um, oh, it's a mess. I don't know if you have paid attention to what they've done to those maps, but they have essentially put uh, female Democrats against female Democrats so that they've pushed them out. Uh, female Democrats who uh, have been doing excellent work representing uh, minority voices and marginalized voices um, have been pitted against each other so that obviously there will be fewer of them uh, in these new maps. And so uh, it's, there's no, uh, the deadline to sign up to run against the, uh, the other candidates has already passed. So uh, we need to take a look at who's running and who to get behind and really uh, make constituents in those areas aware of the harmful 
policies and votes that have happened in some of those districts. And uh, for those who don't have challengers, um, we've, we've, we've missed the opportunity on that, unfortunately. Uh, but there are still school board elections coming up, and I believe the deadline to file for the school board race is July 1st, but confirm that if you're thinking about running. And again, I need to double check that. So I will promise to be more informed about our school board race uh, the next time I do a live, but just be aware that um, because it's a nonpartisan race, the deadline is different. So if, uh, if you're concerned about what's happening at the local school level, it's not too late to file to run for school board. And three or four of those seats are up for election uh, this November. So let's see. In, this, in the Kentucky legislature, there are some really harmful bills and we need to get on the phones. 800-372-7181 is that phone number. You can also go to saveourschoolsky.org and look for a way to email all of them. Uh, they, they adjourned early on Friday and Monday was a holiday. So today being Tuesday, two, 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 uh, they are back in session today, but they're treating it like a Monday. So they're starting late. So that means there was no house education committee meeting this morning. Uh, the soonest the house education committee could meet again is next Tuesday at eight 30. And, um, some of the bills that we're keeping an eye on are likely to now come out of the House Education Committee. So that's a really important committee meeting to show up in Frankfurt uh, every Tuesday. We should try to be in Frankfurt uh, if we can. And, uh, you know, parents who are thinking about taking your students to Frankfurt for a field trip, uh, contact me because um, I'm happy to meet you there, uh, introduce you to some folks, show you around, make sure you don't miss anything. Um, so there's a lot going on and, uh, some, lots of hallways that we can wander in and, and have some good conversations with some, some people that make some of these decisions. So, um, Senate bill one is the bill that strips site-based decision-making councils of their principal selection and their curriculum selection power. And, uh, that bill has already passed the Senate floor. And so now that's one of the bills that we need to keep an eye on because it's going to go out next. It has to go out of the house. Um, Senate bill 138, I believe it's incorrect on the LRC website today, unless there's something else going on, but the in information that I found contradicted itself. And I believe the more accurate information is that, uh, that bill has two readings. And so you have to have three readings for a bill to be voted on. And so therefore they can do their third reading today on the Senate floor and vote on it today. And the Senate and the House both reconvene today at four o'clock. So that's uh, something you can watch live. You can go to KET and watch the live legislative updates and keep an eye on uh, SB 138. And that is basically the bill. It's another anti-CRT bill, um, but it talks about what, curriculum in particular must be taught. Again, more micromanaging of education and uh, uh, by, by people who really don't have any business in education whatsoever. And I really would like to see us flip the script. I forgot to mention a couple of other things that are going on, including Brett Hankison's trial, which started yesterday, February 23rd, and on the DearJCPS.com website, I have started gathering the videos of the live streams into one location so that anyone who is interested in watching that trial can do so easily. 
The trial itself is not related to the death of Breonna Taylor, but actually related to wanton endangerment uh, committed uh, by Hankison as he fired into the apartment next door to Breonna Taylor. However, as the national stage becomes more apparent that no justice has ever been served. However, this trial is an important opportunity for America and the rest of the world to become aware of the, of the fact that, to date, no one has been held responsible for Breonna Taylor's death and very little has changed. And, as I mentioned, um, Amir Locke, uh, a similar situation happened in Minneapolis with Amir Locke, and so obviously the change that has not, the change that needs to happen to prevent innocent people from dying from no-knock raids, botched no-knock raids, uh, has not been implemented. Uh, we need to end no-knock raids in our country. Also, another news story that I did not mention that I wanted to is uh, the curious fact that space junk that has been orbiting our planet since at least 2015 when it was misidentified by the one and only person that really tracks space debris in this country, and he thought it was a SpaceX rocket until uh, it got... Uh, a closer date and time of March 4th this year, March 4th, 2022, at 7.25 a.m., this unidentified space junk will be crashing into the dark side of the moon. And as updated reports of this impending crash started to circulate, SpaceX denied that it was their space junk, and a quick recalculation based on circumstantial evidence, such as what the debris is made of, has now falsely, according to China, attributed this space junk to China. China denies that it's theirs, and so as of right now, what we have is an unidentified flying object that we don't know its origin, heading towards the dark side of our moon, and no one has claimed responsibility for it. And as of yesterday, last night, we are now seeing an invasion of the Ukraine by Russia. So, again, these are strange times, and we need to pay attention to everything that's going on around us and the possibilities that things could be related. Another story I want to bring you up to date on involves what's going on in the Kentucky General Assembly. Yesterday, Wednesday, February 23rd, hearing for House Bill 313 took place, and I want to play for you audio from that meeting and pay particular attention to the speech from Black Lives Matter Louisville leader Chanel Helm. Listen to 
the GOP bullies accuse her of being off topic when she's never been more on topic in her entire life. The deaths in Louisville Metro Detention Center are absolutely on topic to the conversation around community bail fund and their bill that proposes to make it illegal, which, by the way, passed out of committee yesterday and will head to the House floor for a vote prior to moving on to the Senate. House Bill 313. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, John Blanton, represented from the 92nd District. Jason Nemus, represented from the 33rd District. Jefferson Odom, Shelby Counties. Mr. Chairman, members of the committee, today we come to present before you today House Bill 313 uh, that deals with an issue that has arisen uh, within our Commonwealth over the last couple years, uh, dealing with bail projects that prior to uh, were basically non-existent. Um, we did take up uh, this issue during the interim in our Government Oversight Investigative Committee and saw that there was a need to look in further um, and address this issue through some statutorial changes and guidelines. Um, for those of you who are not aware of what they do, uh, there are organizations, some nonprofit, some for-profit organizations and they go in and they post bail for individuals uh, within uh, the system uh, that may not have the means to be able to post their own bail. Um, and in and on the face of it, it uh, sounds um, like a very good thing. However, uh, this thing, this entire issue came to really highlight, be highlighted this past week in Jefferson County. Uh, as most of us know, we had a mayoral candidate that there was an attempted assassination attempt upon uh, his life. Uh, the individual was arrested and charged on a Monday, and one of these uh, bail project groups uh, posted a $100,000 bail and bailed this individual out uh, on a Wednesday. Uh, basically, uh, what they did was circumvented judicial discretion of the judge to place a higher bond for the protection of the public. That's what the judge's discretion is for. And we've also found that in some circumstances, some of these individuals that have been bailed out uh, by some of these groups have went on uh, to commit not only further crimes but be responsible for the deaths of individuals within the community, oftentimes uh, in the commission of another crime. And so with that, I'm going to turn it over to my colleague, and he can explain uh, what this bill will do. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I want to start off by saying a fundamental. Representative Blanton and I believe in bail. We think bail is right for the overwhelming majority of our people. We support bail. We want people get, to get back to their families and we want people to get back to their jobs. Bail is good. In, cra in crafting this bill, we have spoken with prosecutors, public defenders, judges, attorneys, citizens, victims. We've even spoken with the Bail Project a number of times. And I think it's uh, one of its founders uh, will be testifying today. And she is a very good lady who is trying to do the right thing. And we support much of her effort. 
um, we support bail. But with bail, we have bail because we have to have a protection of the public. You are not charged and then released all the time. That is not, uh, even though people say you're innocent until proven guilty, and you are, but, that, but our system, no system in the, in the United States, including the federal system, releases everyone as soon as they get booked. That does not comport with public protection. We did have this bill last summer. We filed this bill the second week of session. So last week's incident in Louisville highlights the need for it, as Representative Blanton said, but it is not the catalyst to bringing this bill. So what do we do? What, how do we determine the rules, what the rules ought to be when, you're having, when, you, when you set the rules for bail? We have to have human judgment into the equation. Human judgment, Representative Elliott, is so important because we know people. There are people in my life, there are people in your life, Representative Maddox, that you'd probably bail out. There's probably people in your life that you wouldn't bail out because you bring the human judgment, the knowledge of the individual. Will they be a danger to themselves? Will they be a danger to the community? Will they be a flight risk? That human judgment is not in the question when we're talking about a, co a corporation, an entity. It's not there. Our Commonwealth has recognized this and has been lauded throughout the country when we got rid of bail bondsmen in the 70s. And one of the main reasons we got rid of bail bondsmen is because it didn't have that human judgment that's tethered to the public safety, that's tethered to the knowledge of the flight risk and the danger of that individual. So we got rid of bail bondsmen. This is the next step in protecting our public. So what are we trying to do? We're not trying to outlaw these entities. We're trying to say that they can't bail people out for serious offenses. That's it. I encourage, we encourage, we want to, we want to increase the number of, of uh, smaller criminals, uh, defendants, I should say, that are bailed out by individuals and entities. We're not, this bill doesn't cover that. And so we've said, and here's, now I'm getting into explaining the bill, we've said that no entity, it has to be a human being, no entity can bail out someone for a serious crime. Where do we put that li li line? We put it at $5,000. The reason we put it at $5,000 is because we reached out to circuit judges. We asked them to do a, uh, have a communication among themselves and get back to us on what they thought the, that line ought to be. And what they said was $5,000. They also had two other recommendations. They said under no circumstances should an entity be able to bail out someone that is charged with a domestic violence offense. Why? Representative Banta, because we know in domestic violence situations, there is an extra uh, concern and a timeliness concern of the volatility of the defendant. This is someone who intended to do what they were doing. They know the victim. They're angry, perhaps, at the victim, and they're more likely to finish the job, so to speak. So we've said domestic violence is out. An entity cannot release someone or post bail for someone with domestic violence. We've also said that, Representative Moser, on a bill that you've worked on for a long time, if you're in on Casey's law, because there's already been a determination that that person is a danger, especially to themselves, but also to the community. So no entity, no matter what the bail set at, can post someone out, can bail someone out for a domestic violence situation or Casey's law. The entities cannot do it themselves, and they cannot do it through a third party. They cannot bail someone out through a third party. They also have annual reporting to the legislature and to the public, so the public can know who they're bailing out, who's, who their donors are, where their expenditures are going. If you're going to engage in this activity in the Commonwealth of Kentucky, it ought to be open to the public for inspection. Finally, and I think this is an interesting uh, addition that I've, I've spoken with a number of uh, legislators uh, on this committee about, and it came from uh, your ideas, is that the bill that is posted by one of these entities 
If someone that they bail out reoffends Representative Bradshaw, the money then is forfeited to the new victim. Does that make that victim whole? No, it does not. It does not make the family whole that we're about to talk about. But it's something, and it's especially something when there's a property crime, not when there's a tragedy that we're about to hear about. So um, if, if, if someone reoffends, the bond that's posted is forfeited to the new victim. Um, so that's, that's the bill in a nutshell. Mr. Chairman, if we might, I'd like to call on uh, Lois Winhorst and, and others, and I'm going to let her introduce them, uh, and they can tell their particular situation and, and to highlight the need for this bill, and then we'll come back to the table for any questions, if that's okay, Mr. Chairman. That is okay. Thank and you, And we Mr. do have a number of people signed up, so we will proceed through that as much as time will allow. While the evening of March 1st, 2021 seemed like a blur and is still a horrible nightmare I cannot wake up from, the details are fresh and vivid in the memory as they were on that night. Madeline had just finished her varsity cheerleading practice at Butler and was taking her brother, my son, Peyton, to work from baseball practice as he is a student at Butler as well. After she dropped Peyton off at Chick-fil-A for his part-time shift, Madeline began her usual route home from practice on Dixie Highway. It was not five minutes later after her brother was dropped off that my daughter would be hit head on by a wrong way speeding stolen truck. The driver of that truck refused to render aid and tried to flee the scene, but was wrestled down by several individuals who just so happened to be walking in the area at the time. Soon after we found out that the truck had been stolen and that this man was under the influence of alcohol and several substances, this man and his ridiculous decisions took everything for me and my family. Madeline was a daughter, our daughter, a sister to two brothers that she adored, a granddaughter, a niece, a cousin, a girlfriend, and a friend to so many. Words to describe Madeline include happy, loving, and kind. She had a very bright future ahead of her and was so excited for the next season of life. Madeline enjoyed helping people and being a helping hand to anyone that needed it. My girl kept a very busy academic and extracurricular schedule and also found time to build a community with some local South End friends at our local Chick-fil-A. She had plans to attend Bellarmine University in the fall of 2021. And as a high school senior, Madeline was already working with an internship at Norton Women's and Children's Hospital. There's no doubt that her calling in life was helping others in their time of hurt and crisis. Madeline's smile always lit up in whatever room that she was in. A year after her passing, I am reminded of just how much joy and happiness that smile and positive energy brought to those she knew and loved. Whether it was the most important individual in the room or the individual that very few talked to, my Madeline was a friend to all. One week away from the one-year anniversary of my daughter's passing, Madeline is the light in our lives. And while there are many days in which I feel like throwing my hands up, she is the bright light that lights the path in such a dark and bitter world. Nonetheless, I am here in this dark and bitter world with a mission and a purpose. I am here today to fight on behalf of Madeline for the hearts of my family and for families across the state of Kentucky. You see, this tragedy could have been avoided. 
The driver of the stolen truck, whose name does not deserve to be said aloud, was arrested on February 27th, less than 48 hours before this wreck for stealing a vehicle and several different drugs. Nonetheless, this criminal and liability to society was released as he was bailed out by the Louisville Bell Project with no money out of his own pocket and no accountability. This man has a file that was multiple pages long. No background information or check was placed on this man, nor were the programs set up or enforced to ensure that he would not go back out and repeat his decisions, which he did. The reason that my daughter is not here is at the hands of the Louisville Bell Project and its supporters. The reason that my husband will not have his daughter to walk down the aisle is at the hands of the Louisville Bell Project and its supporters. The reason of the constant struggle and heartache of my two boys when they think about their sister is at the hands of the Louisville Bell Project and its supporters. The reason my long days, the reason for my long days where it is all I can do to move and sleepless nights is at the hands of the Louisville Bell Project. At the end of the day, it is not the Louisville Bell Project whose lives are drastically changed and altered because of the decisions of a criminal. It is ordinary families such as mine. While bail groups pay for those who have done a crime, it is people like myself that will have to pay for a lifetime. My family and I are here today in support of House Bill 313 in hopes of stopping organizations like these from releasing criminals back into the public with no supervision or accountability. Our family, this community, and our state will forever be denied all of the good that Madeline would have brought. She, she was a good girl. She had so many dreams to look forward to. And I just, she was taken because someone that shouldn't have been out on the road was out on the road that night. And it's just not fair. So I thank you for, for hearing us out today. Good morning, Chairman Massey and members of the committee. My name is Carrie Cole, and I'm the operations manager of the Louisville site of the Bail Project. I grew up in Louisville and work here. I'm a social worker by training, and I deeply understand the social challenges that your constituents face. I was one of the first employees for our Louisville site, and our current team in Louisville are your constituents, living and engaging with their respective Kentucky communities. We are just as invested in you are in making sure that Kentucky is a safe place where all of its residents can thrive. The Bail Project is a national nonprofit with the mission to end cash bail. Since 2018, we have provided free bail assistance to nearly 4,000 Kentuckians in 28 counties statewide. In addition to posting bail, we provide court reminders, travel assistance, and connections to social services like temporary housing, employment assistance, and behavioral health services. Our clients have returned to over 90% of their court dates. The Bail Project is a sunset organization, and our goal is to put ourselves out of business. We want to end the use of cash bail so that our revolving bail fund is not necessary in Kentucky. We are opposed to House Bill 313 because it would, it would limit the number of poor Kentuckians charitable bail organizations can serve by restricting the amount of bail to 5,000 or less, which means that a poor person presumed innocent for a low-level misdemeanor, for example, will remain in jail if their bail is set above that amount. Meanwhile, wealthy people charged with more serious offenses and high bail amounts will be able to buy their freedom. This does not protect public safety. Additionally, House Bill 313 will prohibit charitable bail organizations from posting bail from anyone charged with domestic or dating violence or anyone under civil court order for involuntary treatment for substance use disorder. 
Not only does this prohibition undercut the fundamental right to be presumed innocent, regardless of the charge, but once a judge determines what, the, what price it must be to be paid for a person to be released from jail, it doesn't matter who posts the bond, a relative, church, or a community bail fund. Our US currency is the same as a grandmother's. Further destroying the presumption of innocence is the shocking requirement that charitable bail organizations forfeit bail money to an alleged victim if an accused person out on bond is accused of the commission of a new crime. An accusation or an arrest does not equal a conviction. Finally, House Bill 313 sets a reporting requirement for a charitable bail organization that it, does that it does not also impose on other individuals and groups who post bail. House Bill 313 also requires charitable bail organizations to share information about its donors, which is unfair and illegal, as determined by the U.S. Supreme Court and Americans for Prosperity versus Bonta in 2020. 501c3 organizations are already, already regulated by the state and federal government. This provision is against the spirit of charitable giving and can inadvertently disincentivize would-be donors from providing funding to this critical cause or any other important cause, as this bill would open the door to an unprecedented practice. This bill does not ensure public safety by limiting our services. In fact, it does the opposite, by ensuring more Kentuckians will be subject to the harms that come from remaining in jail before their trial. It also ensures that taxpayers will continue to foot the bill to maintain Kentucky's overcrowded jails. We are all aware of the increased urgency that lawmakers are feeling to address elevated crime levels. We feel that urgency too, but we must be careful not to legislate from the fringes. The stories that have been in the news, the ones that target, that target charitable bail organizations, overemphasize tragedy and fo focus on rare tragic cases. This does not mean that these events when they occur are no less heartbreaking, but they are rare. The urgency of our concerns must be focused on the elimination of cash bail and the reform of the pretrial system altogether, something the bail project is experienced in, as we have been developing a model of robust pretrial services and supports that can be adopted across this country. The bail project's intervention is designed to enhance the public safety of the communities in which we operate, not undermine it. And we are doing that. We have the experience and we have the evidence. We know what works and we urge you to work with us instead of against us to fix this problem. Do not eliminate or restrict our ability to operate. Partner with us. I wanna thank you for your time and I'm happy to answer any questions. Seeing no questions um, of this uh, witness, we will have uh, Shamika, is it Shamika? And I don't, I'm not gonna to try to stab your last name. What's your last name? Parish right. Okay. Are you ready, ma'am? Yes. You may come up and proceed. Be brief, please. As brief as you can. People always tell me that for some reason, huh? I get the same thing, so it's good. I wrote a statement because of that. Um, thank you. Good afternoon. I want to thank you, Chairman Massey, and all of the members um, of the committee. My name is Shamika Parish Wright, and I am testifying before you today um, for my personal capacity. I have lived and worked in Kentucky for more than 20 years. I am a constituent. I am a Louisville resident. This is my home. This issue of bail is close to my heart because I have suffered from it personally. When I was 18 years old, I was getting ready to start college. I got engaged and I had a young daughter. One night, things went all wrong. My ex-fiance, fought me, put his hands on me while I was trying to clean. I thought that I was going to lose my life. I fought back. He did not like this. 
he smacked the drink out of my hand and just kept yelling at me. And so this argument turned into a physical fight that I never expected. I began to move around and try to escape, and I couldn't. I tried to defend myself the best way I could. Someone, one of our neighbors, called the police. When the police came, I told them everything that had happened. I had never been arrested. I did not realize that I was signing my own warrant as I wrote down to what happened. I was handcuffed and taken to jail. I spent two days in jail before ever seeing a judge. Little did I know my ordeal was just starting. My ex-fiance, on the other hand, was charged with domestic violence. He was able to quickly secure his release. He never spent the night in jail. I didn't have those kind of resources. Even when he came to court to defend me and explain that he had started the altercation, the judge did not care and set my bail at $10,000. I didn't have the money, neither did any of my loved ones. I was charged with a felony and was told that I was facing prison if I went to trial and lost. I didn't know what to do. I had a younger daughter at home and my college education ahead of me. I saw my life falling apart before my eyes. Like so many do in that situation, I weighed my options. Do I plead guilty for a lesser offense and go home to my daughter and start college on time? Or do I hold on to my innocence and sit in jail until I have a trial? After spending 38 days in jail, I pled guilty to a lesser charge. All I wanted was to get out and see my daughter. I wanted to be home. I knew this plea would give me a criminal record that will follow me for the rest of my life. But at that moment, I felt I had no other choice. And that's the choice countless people make, countless people make in Kentucky every single day because of, that, of the cash bail system. If I had money to pay my bail, or if there was a charitable bail organization available to support me, I could have gone home, worked with a lawyer to fight my case. I could have avoided conviction. I would not have had a criminal record, but because I was poor, I did not get my due process. The presumption of innocence only existed on paper. It's been 25 years since that night when I thought my young life would come to a premature end. House Bill 313 is not the solution. In fact, it's a distraction from the very real issues we face in our state, the impact on public safety, issues of drug addiction ravaging our communities, mental illness, poverty, homelessness, and the list goes on. Doubling down on the cash bail system by targeting charitable bail organizations is a misguided attempt to respond to political pressure that will increase your jail costs as a result and kicking the can down the road instead of taking on these public health crises head on. You, one of your colleagues last year, was indicted on alleged charges of strangulating his wife, received a $25,000 bail, and was out within an hour. Right now, as we meet here, Officer Hankinson, former Officer Hankinson, is on trial for shooting through the neighbor's walls of Breonna Taylor, $15,000 bond, and was out within an hour. Eliminating cash bail should not be an issue of blue or red, Democrat or Republican, it's an issue of what's wrong and what's right. And putting a price tag on a presumption of innocence is simply wrong. Restricting charitable bail organizations is irrational. It is the equivalent of limiting food banks when the real poverty problem is poverty and hunger. I respectfully ask you not to react to recent media reports with a heavy hand and instead take a thoughtful approach to our shared concerns. The vast majority of people out on bail go to work, 
school, return home to their families without incident. Their success stories like mine do not make it on the news. I was lucky, lucky in my life. Many people would not have that same experience. Incarceration is traumatizing. It forces people to make decisions they would not otherwise make to protect their physical bodies and their minds. To protect their families, if you enact this legislation, you would separate single mothers from their children. You would drive those separated children into trauma and foster care. You'll force employment instability and housing insecurity. You'll increase the likelihood that people will not be able to escape the grip of a criminal legal system involvement. Academic research bears all of this out. And I know from my own experience and my experience speaking with hundreds of directly impacted people that this is true. Don't pass this bill. Instead, I encourage the committee to take the time to collect and analyze the data to learn more about our criminal legal system. It's clear that people don't understand what a revolving bail fund is. It's clear that people don't understand how bail works. It clears, it's clear that people don't understand that there's pretrial incarceration and then there's bail that is a, a condition of release. You know, we need really complete information that deals with the complete fiscal and racial impact statements before passing legislation that effectively solve the complex issues facing our, our communities. Vote no on House Bill 313. Thank you. And as a mother of six and a grandmother of three, I am sorry that that happened. I didn't, I've never met you. I don't live far from Butler. My daughter worked at Chick-fil-A too. This hits me home. But if it was even in my children, I would be standing here, standing on our work. I'm glad that there's some form of justice happening as Mr. DeWitt is on facing trial, but do know that I don't take this lightly. And Lois, we talked about that. Thank you. All right, we have two more people signed up and I'm gonna get you out of here by 145. So we're gonna continue to proceed. Since we've already heard from one person from the bail project, I'll call them last. I'm gonna hear from Shamel Helm. Chanel Helm, sorry, I'm reading off the best I can. Um, and please come forward, ma'am, and identify yourself, and you may proceed. Thank you so much. Before I even get started, I do want to say that even though we didn't write a lot, it has nothing to do with that. Nobody should ever leave from my understanding. And you're absolutely correct. But you will understand what the Legal Community Bill Fund does, um, and that's what I want to lead with. We were never contacted about this bill, nor our work from anyone who has put this bill together. So is it? Yes, it's green. Look closer. It moves. This. Oh, okay. It was kind of heavy. Thank you so much. Um, so I am a bit um, confused as to why there is an over-resounding notion that those things did happen. Um, community bail funds have been around for decades. Um, they did not just erupt all of a sudden, and there are not just two types of bail funds that are in Kentucky operating right now. There are three others that also take care of specific crimes and how they happen. Community bail funds do not only bail people out, we also bail out the community. So there are very much injustices that we talk about that not only deal with the criminal justice system, they also deal with why people create crime in the first place. And as a West End Louisville resident, um, a historic West End Louisville resident, I can still state to you that there are other things that we have bailed out in our community besides people. I just wanna name those things because nobody has asked us about those and you are assuming too much. We have created a grocery store because we live in a food apartheid where fresh foods are not available to over 60,000 people in the West End of Louisville. We bought an abandoned church so that we could create what the community asked for and they've created and wanted an art gallery, a kitchen that works. We feed over 2,500 people a week 
and we make sure children have a safe place to come study. We've also bought an emergency housing house because people do not have housing in a housing crisis in the west end of Louisville, blighted neighborhoods, and we house them. We don't send them through red tape, we house them. So yes, I do agree that this bill is ill-purposed because the information in the bill is already public. There's no need to report to you all because the reporting is already done when you bail somebody out. The courts have a list of people who bail people out regardless if they are us or they are somebody who isn't us. And that is made to you upon request and you can do that. What the Community Bail Fund does though is build support systems for those folks who are not able to have support. There are people who have way harsher crimes and those folks need things. Some folks involve drugs, some folks involve violence. And if we are able to create that support plan with them, with licensed professional social workers, with licensed professional therapists, with licensed professional lawyers, who we detail their crime with, which we do, we build that out. If we can't do that, then we don't bail them out. All of that could have been asked and it could have been ready and prepared for before we got here. Um, and to speak about the crime last week that took place, there are rumors that are going around about who Quintez Brown is, but we don't need to question who he is because he wrote who he is and why he exists and what is happening to him. That changed last week. An entire community, a group of people who love him very much dearly are really wondering what is happening and we're there because we're wondering what's going on. The conditions for his bail were set by a judge, not the Community Bail Fund, not the Bail Project, not the Freedom Project, not the Immigrant Bail Fund. They were set by a judge and they are being completed by that judge. If there is an issue with bail, then you take it up with the judge, but I'm also concerned. I'm also concerned at how murderers can have lower bail than people who have drug offenses or people who are not violent. That's the question at hand right now. How is somebody who has already committed several crimes have $5,000 bail over somebody who's not committed any type of crime whatsoever? And why isn't the courts issuing the support that is being requested by the legal defense? I'm not saying that this always correctly, but we work too hard to do that. What has happened to us since 2020 is tons, tons of assaults on the people who work here, data analysts, social workers, community organizers, we are mothers, we are residents, we have been stalked, we have been chastised, we have been, I mean, like this is almost sabotage in itself. Nobody has contacted us at all and I don't think that's fair to say and put that on record. And I'm down to speak to anybody who would like to and work on an actual bill that talks about the things that you are trying to address. I do wanna read something else before I leave because there's another issue at hand that we're talking about. And too many folks are not making enough noise about what is happening in Louisville Metro Department of Corrections right now. On November 29, 2021, Kenneth Hall was found unresponsive. On December 3, 2021, Rakita Smith was found unresponsive. On December 4, 2021, Stephanie Dunbar, another woman, was found by suicide. On January 2nd, 2022nd, Gary Withall was found by suicide. On January 9th, 2022, Keith Smith was found unresponsive on the medical floor. And February 6th, a week before Quintess Brown committed his crime, Leslie Starnes was found by hung by himself, right? People are dying in LMDC. And nobody is calling attention to what is happening at LMDC. And we are worried about the wrong things. I'm not off topic because that's part of the reason the Louisville Community Bail Fund exists. 
We call out the injustices that are taking place and find those solutions. This is not a solution for what is happening in our community or what is happening inside the jail right now or what the folks need who are committing criminal crimes. I'm not off topic. We're talking about why the Louisville Community Bail Fund exists. Nobody asked us why and what we do, and I gave that to you. So now you know. But I expect to be treated with respect, and that's by everybody in this room. Mr. Chairman, uh, if, if we could have just a couple seconds to close. Okay. Of course. Yes, thank you. Hello, my name is Alicia Richardson, um, members of the community, community uh, committee. Thank you for the, oh, yes, I'm sorry, yes. Members of the committee, committee, thank you for the opportunity to share my experience with you today. My name is Alicia Richardson. I'm a 34-year-old 30, business owner, proud mother of three uh, children, and I lived and worked in Louisville for nearly 20 years, but I'm originally from Cleveland, Ohio. In 2019, I had one of the worst experiences I've ever had. One night after a long day at work, I was hanging out with some friends and having a drink. Then a dear friend of mine called me in a frantic state. She was in a situation of domestic violence and she desperately needed my help. She was in a panic and asked me to please come and get her. So I got in my car. In hindsight, I should have never gotten into the car, but right there and then I didn't know what else to do. Uh, as I was driving, I realized I wasn't feeling well, so I pulled over into a gas station. Then, by accident, I ran into a gas pump. The police came, and I was immediately arrested. Um, I don't even want to talk about the experience when I was locked up. I was taken to a jail and held on a bail that I could not afford. I didn't want to do. I didn't know what to do. Like many people in our community, I was living pay paycheck to paycheck. Um, I had just graduated the Louisville Urban League, Kentucky. Uh, KY Bills program. I didn't have an emergency savings or anything like that. I was worried about my kids and my mother who had recently suffered from two aneurysms on the same day and um, they all depended on me. Jail is a scary place. I didn't wish this experience on anyone. Um, I was there for two days. Don't get me wrong. I believe in the justice process. I believe in taking responsibility, but you just don't put a person in jail before they get their day in court. You don't say someone is presumed innocent and then set bail. You know they can't pay. Fortunately, the bail project learned about my case and they provided me with bail assistance. I was grateful that I could go home to my children and help take care of my mom. To this day, my case is still pending. That means I could still be sitting in jail almost three years later. If it wasn't for the bail project, I would be sitting in jail, especially during covid you know, the case, a lot of cases just wasn't being seen or what ha I don't know what was going on. Um, waiting for a resolution. Um, since my release, um, I have started my own construction company and I am successful with that. I'm in the Russell Business Tech Incubator and I'm also, I just got accepted to the UFK Business Accelerator, uh, Minority Accelerator. And um, I am doing well providing for my family while attending court as required to fight my case and take responsibility. Um, because I was drinking that night, um, my judge um, also asked me to participate in a um, 
program in reference to, um, you know, gaining sobriety. So I'm also a, a client of Ladies of Promise, and they have been making sure, just as well as the bail project, that I make it to every court date as well. Um, I've attended every court date as asked to with the help of the court reminders and transportation from the bail project, and I'm thankful for the work that they do. The justice, the justice system should not treat people differently based on how much money they have. We all have a right to a due process, a right to get our day in court, a right to be presumed innocent, and this should not depend on the size of your bank account. We need to fix the cash bail system. Until then, charities like the bail project are needed. They level the playing field for folks like me. This bill will hurt people living in po poverty as it is. Nearly half of the people in jails in Kentucky are they're awaiting, uh, I mean, awaiting their court dates because they can't afford a bill. I ask you to please vote no on this bill. I also would like to say, um, I would like to give your, your family family my condolence. Um, we lost a family member on 26th and Broadway due to somebody who served out of jail um, for a crime similar to what he did. And then he ran my cousin over. And it took forever for um, the police to find him. Um, but we did end up getting justice. So I, I would like to say, um, I don't necessarily think that it's people getting bailed out by the bail project and that's why they're um, repeating their offenses. People have the choice to get out of jail and do something different um, like I am. And if they choose not to, um, that they should, uh, the judge should give them more time or something, a higher bail. But I don't think the bail project should be canceled just because uh, other the people that's being released are making bad choices because there's more people that's making good choices than bad. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Also, last Thursday during the Senate Education Committee meeting, there was testimony in support of Senate Bill 183. One of the ladies that spoke is Beanie Geohegan, and she had been recruited by the bill sponsor to be a witness in support of the bill. Compare and contrast her playing the victim for having been attacked and bullied for the last three years for suddenly waking up from her fog and interrupting and stepping on and erasing voices and experiences of marginalized people that have been in this fight much longer. I have only been on the scene for about a decade, and welcome to the club, girlfriend. They come for us when we stand up for our kids. However, you got to get in line, okay? And on top of that, you got to understand true root causes and not just the concerns that affect you. So listen to her experience, and then listen to Chanel's again, and see if you really think that we should be introducing and passing legislation that's going to silence the voices of those like Chanel, just like the Kentucky GOP attempted to do during their uh, committee meeting on Wednesday. My name is Beanie Gohagan. I thank you so much for uh, having me here today to speak. Uh, I cannot even begin to tell you how strange it is that I am sitting here today. Three years ago, I was a very content substitute teacher, church and school volunteer, wife to my high school sweetheart and mother of four teenagers. Virtual school changed at least some of that. Instead of subbing, I was home watching my two youngest children's high school classes online and my contentment faded. As I talked to more parents around Kentucky, I realized that I was not alone. 
We were frustrated by what our students were being taught and very concerned with what was not being taught. We followed proper protocol by communicating with the teachers and appealing to the school board. In the process, we were mocked, heckled, and slandered on social media. Fast forward to today and the need for Senate Bill 138. This bill is a way to ensure all children are educated, not indoctrinated by certain political and social beliefs, while also ensuring they are exposed to the rich content of the many amazing speeches, letters, and documents that tell the complicated story of America. I've read and learned more about the founding and functioning of our country in recent years than ever before. The more I learn, the greater my appreciation is for those who came before me and how unique our experience is as Americans. That is time. Bill 138 passed the Senate today, 28 to 8. It now moves to the House. What has happened to us since 2020 is tons, tons of assaults on the people who work here, data analysts, social workers, community organizers. We are mothers. We are residents. We have been stalked. We have been chastised. We have been, I mean, like this is almost sabotage in itself. Nobody has contacted us at all, and I don't think that's fair to say and put that on record. You've been listening to Save Our Schools with Dear JCPS. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and broadcast, and you can find replays on SoundCloud, on the Forward Radio channel, under the Save Our Schools with Dear JCPS playlist. And you can also get updates on our website at DearJCPS.com. And you can request your All History Matters When Black History Matters activity kits for free, as well as order merchandise to support our fundraiser, including a yard sign that will be installed for free anywhere in Jefferson County during Black History Month by ordering them from our merchandise store at allhistorymatters.com. Please email us at moderator at dearjcps.com if you have any requests or information related to any of the topics on this or any other program. Thank you. The proceeding is part of WFMP's Public Affairs Educational Programming. The views expressed are those of the speakers and not the station. If you would like to share your views, you may email us at wfmp.louisville at gmail.com.